Well, greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful to be here? Man, I tell you what, it's great. I am really excited about this service. Uh, you know, so for quite a while, we have been doing two services. This is our first Sunday just to have the one service. So this is our celebration service. This is our freedom service for the 4th of July. And because of all of this that's going on, I feel that there is explanation that I need to give to you before we move on too much further, okay? So we're going to have a passage of Scripture that's going to be read for the call to worship. Then we're going to pray, and then we're going to play a song. And at the end or towards the end of the song, there's going to be this loud pop and a lot of confetti. Okay, so I, I want y'all to be aware of the loud pop and a lot of confetti. Our children are going to come in as we sing, what's the song? America the Beautiful. So we're going to sing America the Beautiful. So I'll have y'all stand or Chris will have y'all stand as we sing that. But at the end of it, there's going to be a loud pop. I've already okayed this with the fire department. It's not going to set off our fire suppression system. I've checked with our uh, cleaning crew, and they said, we don't want to, but okay, Pastor, go ahead. Okay, so the kids are going to come in, and they're going to have a great time, and they're going to shoot off confetti for us, but we're going to praise and worship God because today is the day that we observe our freedom and the only reason why we have our freedom is because of the brave men and women that have fought so valiantly for our freedom. And we thank them for that. So that's why we have this as our celebration service. And I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 28 and 29 and 30. It says, Then Jesus said, Come to me. All you who are weary and carry a heavy burden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Amen. It is light. So let us bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, God, we join together at one heart, at one table, worshiping you, the one and true Lord. And God, as we join our hearts together here in this uh, sanctuary, we join together with the hearts of those across this community of Rock Hill and South Carolina and the United States that's calling out and praising you this morning right now. And God, we pray, dear Lord, that you would receive our praise unto you as a sweet incense, because this is your day. This is the day that we glorify you, and we praise your holy name. Amen. Now let us stand. Let's sing and worship this morning. Let's lift our voices for America the Beautiful. Of the fruit it plays, 
America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crowned thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. People for heroes prove. Okay, I am going to apologize for those of you that was right there by those poppers as they went off in the middle of the song instead of at the end of the song. Uh, you know, I was I had my back turned to them, so it was a shock to me. Uh, you know, but hey, uh, you know, if that's the only mess up that we have this morning, we're done with it, right? And we're going to go right on, but we are going to continue to praise and worship God. Amen. So we're going to continue to give praise to him for how great he is for that freedom and that love that he has given to us. Let's talk about how great our God is and give a worship to him this morning. Let's sing. God had three and one. 
celebrating this day because there's freedom in Christ. There's freedom in his love and his grace and his mercy that he can break the chains that bind us. So let's sing of that grace and let's sing of that freedom this morning as we give praise to him ultimately for that freedom. Sing amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. 
forever his as we bow our heads 
the altar is open for you this morning. If there is a need that you have that you need to bring to the altar that's open for you this morning. If there is a praise or a shout that you need to bring to God this morning, the altar is open for you as well. Let us bow our heads. As those are making their way to the altar, God, I pray, dear Lord, that you would hear their cries this morning. God, that you would receive those as they lay them at your feet. God, I pray, dear Lord, that you would give them comfort and peace in whatever it is that they are bringing to you. And God, for those that are just simply coming to praise and to thank you for the week that you have given to them and for the salvation and the freedom that you have afforded them through your son, Jesus Christ, that died on the cross. And God, as as they lift those up, God, I pray that you would receive those right now as a sweet incense. Uh, you know, God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your creation, this earth that we live on. We thank you for breathing the breath of life within each and every one of us. We thank you for your son that died on the cross and rose again on the third day. That is seated at the right hand of the throne right now. And he is interceding for us. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is poured out so freely upon us. That guides us and directs us. That teaches us. That convicts us. That draws us. That sustains and holds us together. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all of those things. And God, we humbly bow before you right now. Brokenhearted, laying these things at your feet. God, right now, I pray that you would be with the ones that are sick. God, John Riley sticks, you know, comes into my mind, dear Lord, and in him and where he is. And uh, you know, Desiree Sadler, dear Lord, as she is in the hospital as well. And God, as we think about uh, you know, Joyce Macbeth and the battle, the battle that she is going through, God, I pray that you would be with her and David right now. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the ones that have made it here today that are hurting physically. And God, those that are hurting spiritually, God, I thank you that they have made it into your house right now. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I pray right now, dear Lord, for baby Mason. And God, all the prayers that have gone up for him and for that family, God, I pray that you'll continue to be with him. God, I pray that you would be with the Williams family, dear Lord, as they have a daughter that's in the hospital. God, I pray that you would be with her. And God, I pray, dear Lord, that she would stand on the promises that you have given to her. And God, that your peace, dear Lord, will move in in her midst right now. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you that we can come and give you all of these requests and that you know each and every one of those. And then you are already at work within those right now. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you and we praise you. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As you're going back to your seat, uh, there's several different passages of Scripture 
But before we get into the message, I want to do something. Um, I would like for all of our, uh, everyone that's in here that has served or is serving uh, in our military to please stand. If you have served or are serving in the military, please stand. Thank you so much. I, uh, I say thank you, and that's not lightly. Um, I have, um, uh, my father was in the, uh, in the Army. I had an uncle that was in the Navy. Both of his son, sons went into the military, and one is still in the military uh, over in Okinawa. Um, I was a preacher, or I was a pastor at a church in Meridian, Mississippi, for five and a half years, and that is a Marine Naval Base community. And I had soldiers coming in and going out, and I had families that, uh, that I was able to minister to in just the devastation of the, uh, the wars and stuff that's going on. It is not lightly that I say thank you for your service. Uh, you know, I do thank each and every one of you for your service. So now that I have done that, I, I need to make sure that I have someone that is cooking because I don't want to get through with the message and not have lunch. Okay, so Marcus is, is out there somewhere. Uh, you know, can you go, oh Chuck, and, and, and just kind of help us out on that? I, I had the men sitting aside, and, and each one of them said that they would help, but I never told one of them to help. So, uh, you know, whew. okay, yeah, but Billy, Billy brought the cooker, and he said, I'll bring the cooker, but I can't cook. So, Okay, okay, good. So we've got that covered. So whenever we finally get through in here, we will have some food to, you know, to eat. I, you know, guys, I, I, I said I wasn't going to say this, but in jokingly, I'm going to go ahead and say this. This is message one. Okay, now for the last almost year or even over a year, I've been able to preach twice. So I had a small group early in the morning that I was able to practice on. Okay, so now y'all get the practice. Okay, so let's see how this goes this morning with no practice. I want us to go and to think about this because this freedom that we have today. Yes, we have men and women that served and that fought in the wars and stuff to give us freedom. But our true freedom comes from Jesus Christ and from his sacrifice that he gave to us. That is where our true freedom comes from. So this morning's message, I just simply titled it, Do Not Be Afraid of Freedom. So I, I want you to think about this. Let's not be afraid of freedom because there is a price to be paid for freedom. It is not free. Now, whenever we think about this, and I read in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, and that's where Jesus is telling us that we need to come to him because his burden is light and is easy. He gives us rest and peace for our souls. How many of you are restful and peaceful today? Some said amen. There's a lot of strife that's still going on. So there's a lot of us are here today that look at this and we read this passage of Scripture. And we're like, okay, I see it. I read it. I understand it. But how do I have this rest in peace that this passage of Scripture is really talking about. 
Because there's troubles in this world that we live in. Some of us could be facing and thinking about our financial difficulties. You went from one income or from two incomes to one. You went from having one child to having two or three. Uh, you know, there, there's different things that can affect our financial security and, and how we go through our lives. Those of you that are retired and is that, there, that you are now on that set income that does not increase according to the increase in inflation. We struggle with these things. So where's the rest? Then we also think, I think about this, you know, the ones that struggle because they know that they have a loved one that is lost. And the burden that God puts on your soul because of that. Where's the rest? Those of us that are facing physical difficulties, where's the rest? The emotional difficulties, where's the rest? The rest is there because Jesus offers it to us. But there's a lot of times that we are afraid to accept the rest because it doesn't look like what everybody else is doing. And it doesn't look like what everybody else says is fun. It doesn't look like what everybody else says is rest. It's different. So I'm going to try to put this all together for you. I'm not going to give you one passage of scripture because there's several. So I'm going to give you a story that's from Genesis chapter 24. And then we're also going to talk about Psalms 45. And then we're also going to look at John chapter 8. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 7, Galatians chapter 2, and Romans chapter 8. Okay, so we're going to walk through this, and I want you to come along with me. So as we think about this, in this passage of Scripture in Matthew, where he says that we need to come to Him to have rest, I want to take you to Genesis, to this beautiful love story. A lot of times we don't see it as a love story because it's completely different from a love story that we would accept. In Genesis chapter 24, we find that Abraham is making a covenant with his manservant that is the closest servant to Abraham. It is his, the one that he trusts more than any of his other servants. He tells him to make this oath with me and he says to put your hand underneath my thigh and make this oath. Now the thigh is underneath while you're sitting there. It's a private spot. So it's a place that you would only allow someone that you trust put the, to put their hand. He is saying, put your hand here and promise to me, make this oath that you will not allow my son Isaac to marry one of these Canaanite women. That you will go to my home country and you will find a bride for him. Don't take him there. But go there and bring someone to him so that he will be able to marry someone or one of our relatives. And then we find and we go through this story, he leaves. He packs up things. It says that he packs up, I believe it says he packs up three camels 
full of gifts and stuff that he is going to give to the family of the woman that he's, you know, that God shows him is supposed to be Isaac's bride. So you got to picture this. This man, he loads all these things up. He's got these camels and all this stuff with him, and he's going on a journey. Now, where is he going to? He's going to the country of Ur, which is where Abram came from, right? Abram was Abraham. He came from the country of Ur. So he's going to travel all the way up there to Ur to find a woman for Isaac. Gets there. I don't know about you, but whenever I was trying to get up the nerve to speak to my wife for the very first time, y'all remember I followed her in the cafeteria line. Uh, you know, for at least 10, 15 minutes before I even said hello to her. Now, this is Abram's servant is going to a foreign country to find a wife for someone that's not with him. How nerve-wracking would that be? So he comes to this watering hole, and then we get this prayer that he prays. And he prays to Abraham's God, and he says, God, he says, If this woman, or show me the woman that you would have for my servant's son, or for, not my servant's son, but for my master's son to marry. And this is what needs to happen. Whenever she comes out and I ask her for some water, she will not only give me water, but she will offer to water all of the camels. And if this woman does this, then I will know that she is the one that you have picked for my master's son. So you get this, right? It says, the scripture says that before he got through with the prayer, Rebecca comes walking down and fills up her jug. He runs over there to her and he asks her for a drink of water. What do you think happens? If you've read the scripture or you know the story, you know that she gave him water. And then after she gave him water or while he was drinking that, she said, I'm going to go and water your camels. How many of you would not have been jumping and shouting at that moment in time? Come on, you know, we need to see this because God has answered this prayer. As he was praying it, he had answered this prayer. Our God, the one that we worship, the one that created each and every one of us, hears those prayers and he is already acting upon those prayers. And he shows him exactly who is supposed to go. I think it's interesting. They don't tell us how old she is. It just simply says that she's of Marian age. And he gets all excited. I I keep trying to search for things because he gave her three things, right? He gave her a ring to put in her nose and then gave her a bracelet to put on each one of her wrists. Three, so I don't know if that has to do with the Trinity or not. I'm not going to go so far-fetched to say that it does, but I think that's interesting. The three things. Okay, I can see that y'all don't see it's interesting. Okay, I'm sorry. So it's just interesting to my weird brain thought process. Sorry about that. So as we go along, you know, he gives them these things. And then he tells her why he's there. She gets all excited, right? Well, kind of. I can see some excitement because he left her at the watering hole. I mean, wait a minute, wait a minute. She left him at the watering hole. And she went home and told her family about him. And as her brother heard her telling them about him, 
he runs and then gets him and says, come on, let's go. And, they, you know, and all this here happens. And then he explains to them why he's there before he eats. He is there so that Rebecca will leave every single thing that she knows. She will leave her mother, her father, her brother, anybody that's kin to her, her relatives, everything that she has known to, you know, up until this particular time, she is going to be asked or she is asked to leave. What was her comment? Yes, I'll go. If that's what it is, I will go. We find out that the family said, if she says yes, then we're good with it. But then the family has issues. They says, let her stay here for a couple of days, and you go ahead and go back, and then we'll send her to you. Now see, there's the problem. Each and every one of us, as we believe in Jesus Christ and as we walk this life that God has asked for us to walk, we are turning away from the old things, right? Isn't it in John chapter 8? Jesus replied, I, I tell you the truth, everyone has sinned, that's not where it's at. I'll get back to that one. Jesus tells us that we have a new life. We're, we're new creatures, each and every one of us. The old is gone and the new is here. We have to turn away from the old things and the old thought processes. We have to leave those things. The problem with it is, is that we don't trust who we're being called to, we don't trust him, so we never completely leave the old self. Oh, now wait a minute. Joshua, as the Israelites are fixing to go in and they're going to occupy their country, the, the land that God had promised them to occupy. There's something key that Joshua says. Joshua asked them and told them that, they, that God is a jealous God and that they have to worship God and God alone. And the people of Israel said, yes, we'll do that. And Joshua said, no, you can't do that. Isn't that odd? You can't do that. Why did Joshua say that you can't do that? Because they were still worshiping some of the gods that they had brought from on the other side of the Euphrates River. So back whenever Abram lived in Ur, and he moved and came down to where God wanted him to come to, he still brought some foreign gods with him. He had not completely turned away from those foreign gods. There's always struggles in the Israelites' life because they kept wanting to go towards something else that looks better. 
we have trouble today because the world looks so good. And we don't want to completely turn away from it. I'm reading a book that talks about oneness. We know whenever we're all married, right, that you say and you repeat those vows that you will be together for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, poor, and in health and in sickness until death do us part. And we're supposed to leave our homes and become one with our mate. But the first thing that happens whenever you become one with your mate, you go on the honeymoon. That's first. You come back home. And then you battle over who's boss. You're going to battle over who's boss. I, you know, I, I tell you, I think about this. Peg and I had one of our worst arguments, worst arguments in the, in the first five years of our marriage. And what was it over? How to fold towels. How to fold towels. She was not folding the towels right. You fold it in half, you fold it in half, then you fold it in thirds, right? And you slide it in. Perfect way. I won that battle. No, I'm kidding. I didn't win that battle. But see, we're always doing that. Within our marriage, we're, we're trying to figure out who's boss. We're trying to figure out who's in control. That's not oneness. That's two separate people trying to cohabitate underneath a building or underneath a roof. That is not what God's calling us to. That is not what God shows us in the relationship in between Him, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. He shows us oneness and how that has to operate. But we have to be willing to give up our control to be able to accept everything that He truly has for us. See, Satan knows that if he can get us to think long enough, about whether or not God can truly take care of me, then he's already got us divided. It's until we completely relinquish any thought process that we have that we can take care of ourselves. Rebecca, heard of, never seen. Right? Never heard of, never seen it. David writes this about her in Psalms 45. He says, Hear, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. 
forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Forget about that. Forget about your past. Forget about what you used to do. Forget about what you used to be. Because he has something greater for you to be. It then goes in and begins to talk about the bridegroom. And it says that the bridegroom will lavish you with a golden dusted robe. And your beauty will be the envy of everyone in the kingdom. So what does that mean? That means that what we fight so hard to hold on to, the things of this world, the security of this world, that if we will ever relinquish that, that he has something much better than this world could ever give us. He says that you will be donned with a golden dusted robe. (laughs) Well, there goes all your wealth problems, right? (laughs) I'm wearing a robe that's just covered in gold. Oh, man. But I, I, I don't know if you saw this. It says that the king will desire your beauty. God desires a relationship, a pure relationship with each and every one of you. He desires it. Now, if you desire something, what are you going to do? Are you passively going to say, you know, I'd really like to go do that. I, uh, I, I have a watch fetish. I, I'm wearing watch number eight today. I, I have seven fossil watches. Fossil now sends me emails. And they sent me an email and there's this beautiful charcoal gray uh, you know, solid gray watch with white hands. And, and I looked at that thing and I was like, man, that's really beautiful. I, you know, and then I started picturing the clothes and stuff I could wear with it. I was like, man, I'm like, that'd be really great. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about these things and, uh, you know, I'm like, man, you know, so I, I went ahead and I put it into my cart. And y'all you know, know what you do, you put it in your cart and eventually it's going to come out of your cart, right? Uh, you know, so I put it into my cart and whenever I put it in my cart, it gave me an extra 50% off. Man, but then I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. I'll do this. I'll buy Peggy a couple of dresses, and then I'll ask her. I'll I'll show her the watch and say, "Isn't that really a beautiful watch?" And then see if she'll let me buy it. Oh, guys, I went into that. I went into that that cart three times 
before I actually took her to the store to buy her her dresses. And then yesterday I showed her the watch and she goes, oh, that is a pretty watch. Why don't you go ahead and buy it? I will say, I, I will tell you this, there was difficulties in the, mail, in, the, in the cart and it hasn't been emptied yet. For some odd reason, I, I just don't know. Guys, I, I know that's funny, but whenever there's something that we desire and something that we want, we're going to go after it wholeheartedly. We're going to do anything and everything that we can to get it. God's telling us here, the scripture's telling us here that he desires us. He desires a true relationship with each and every one of us. God loves us so much that he is passionate about having a relationship with us. He says, the relationship that I'll have with you is better than anything in this world. I will don you with a golden dusted robe. Not only does he say that in Psalms, it actually says that your peers will envy you because of the love that I have lavished upon you. God has that for us. But see, we're captured by sin. We are in bondage to sin and to this world system. In John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36, I told you I was going to get back to it. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but the son is a part of the family forever. So if, you, if, so if the son sets you free, you are truly free. So if Jesus Christ, if he sets us free, then we are truly free. And if Jesus sets us free, then that means that we are victorious over sin and over death. I no longer have to sin because of this body and this life and this world that I live in. Jesus Christ was victorious over sin. He lives within me. Therefore, I can be victorious over sin and over death. We're set free. We're no longer slaves. We are considered a child of God. Dawned with a robe, dusted with gold. Because of his love for us. But whenever I sit here and I think about this and I bring you to this point in this, in this message. We have to look at Romans chapter 7 verses 15 through 25. 
And in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25, it starts off and it says, I do not really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, that God is good. So I am not doing the one thing wrong. I am not doing the one thing, the one, I'm not doing, oh my goodness, I'm not, yeah, I am not the one doing the wrong. It is the sin living within me that does it. He goes on and he continues to talk about this. First off, I want you to see this and I want you to understand. This is not talking about Paul's life. Paul doesn't write this in Romans chapter 7 as in this is how my life is. In other words, Paul is not saying that my life is up and down, that I do good one day because I'm close to God and the next day I do bad because I've decided to follow myself. Paul is not saying that his life is a roller coaster. If you want to make sure, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Romans chapter 7 is not the life that a Christian is supposed to be living. But it is the life that 95% of all Christians live. Why do we live that life? Why do we live the life that we're constantly struggling? God does not want us to live a life as if we are bipolar. There's not two people living in this body. Jesus Christ is alive in this body or he is dead in this body and John Sadler's alive. It's not the two. In Galatians, Paul says that he's crucified. It is now Christ that's living in me. You get it? Christ is living in him. Paul's dead. My desire that I have is dead. It's no longer what I want, but it's what you want, God. It's no longer what makes me feel good or what makes me secure, but it's what you want for me. It's not this up and down life that we're living that says one day I'm going to be good and the next day I'm not. But here is the battle. Here is the problem. The Israelites, I say this many, many times. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. It took 40 years of the Israelites wandering around in the desert so that they would trust in God and God alone. And we see even after that that they still didn't do it. 
what is it going to take for us to truly die to our self? And to realize that God has something great for me. He has a golden robe or a robe that's dusted with gold. Man, I really like that. I'm glad I read that scripture this week. Just wait until I come in in my golden robe. No, I'm kidding. I won't do that. But do you not see this? The reason why we struggle with our lives and our lives are, is, is a roller coaster is because we're still hanging on to things in the world. We have not truly crucified ourselves. I, one guy actually told me that, that we can't crucify ourselves. Because if you have one hand nailed to the cross, how are we going to nail the other hand to the cross? The only way that we can be crucified and be nailed to the cross is if we allow the Holy Spirit to drive that last nail in. That is the only way that it's going to happen. We will never, ever be able to crucify ourselves. It is only when we allow the Holy Spirit to come in and take control of all of our lives. Whenever we get to the point that we understand what Psalms 45 is really talking about. It's talking about us turning away from the things of this world and becoming the bridegroom spotless and without wrinkle to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And the only way that we're going to be able to do this is with the Holy Spirit drawing us and guiding and directing our hearts and lives. We will never be able to do this on our own. In Romans chapter 8, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, His love for us, the Holy Spirit drawing us and calling us to Christ. It's only through Him that we're conquerors. It's only through Him that this roller coaster of a life is able to stop. And we're able to live crucified with Christ. Him living in us and not my desire, but his desire. Not my hand doing the work, but his hand doing the work. Not what I want, but what he wants. It is only whenever we mutually 
submit our lives to Christ through the Holy Spirit, that we can achieve the oneness that God is talking about and wanting us to have with Him. We have to voluntarily submit our will to His will to be able to live a crucified life. It's no longer I, but it's Him. So this morning, if you have your communion cups, Does everybody have one? I think Carter needs one. You got one? Okay. The bread's on the bottom, depending on how you're looking at it. Take off the top of the bottom for the bread. Jesus, whenever he sat with his disciples at the Last Supper, he commissioned this. And he took the bread. You remember, and he broke it. And then he shared it with his disciples. But he takes the bread and he blesses it. And he says, this is my body that is broken for you. And eat. And then Jesus goes over to Elijah's spot at the table. And he picks up that third cup. The one that they've been waiting for Elijah to come back. And he picks up that cup. And he says, this is my blood. Or represents my blood. That is poured out for you. And then he blessed it. And then they drank. He says, do this often. In remembrance to me. Remember what I have done for you so that you could have a right relationship with my Father. So that you would be able to enjoy the oneness that my Father and I enjoy. This represents the cross. The death to the old and the life to the new that is given to us by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, dear Lord, for this day. God, I thank you for the message that we have. And God, I pray, dear Lord, as we have listened to these words, God, that we would allow them to transform our lives. God, that we would invite your spirit into our lives to fill every spot.
every nick or nook and cranny of our lives as we relinquish control of who we are and we allow you to live within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let us stand for benediction. So there is no discipleship group tonight at 5. We will start up with our... um, Do we have prayer Tuesday?